0: Welcome back, my friends, to the MailRite Real Estate Agent Podcast Show. You're on episode 133 with Jonathan Denwood and myself, Thomas J. Nelson. And today we have a very special guest with us. We have Mr. Scott Smith Esquire. That's right, Esquire, folks, because we're talking to an attorney. And Scott is the gentleman that founded and owns Royal Legal Solutions. And uh, you know what? If you're an investor uh, or if you represent investors, or you've become suddenly a landlord because you inherited a property, uh, this is the guy you want to listen to today because he is going to save your ass sets, assets, excuse me. And without further ado, I want to welcome Scott to our show. Scott, welcome and thanks for being here.
1: Hey, thanks guys. Uh, Really great to be um, here with uh, both of you here today. And and, um, it's, uh, it's a pleasure to have an opportunity to be on Facebook Live, you know, where everything is candid. (laughs) <laughs> um, and, I, and one thing I can promise you today is that I, I'm a very candid, very laid back person. So there's no topic we can't get into, talk about, whether it's nitty gritty, the scary stuff that nobody else wants to talk about. I have an opinion on it, I guarantee. And, um, you know, let's uh, let's
0: get into the weeds. All right. Well, we're going to do that in just a minute. I want to give Jonathan a chance to introduce himself and tell everyone a little bit about his services.
2: Oh, thanks, Thomas. Um, I'm the founder of Mailrite. We're a website Um, marketing platform aimed at real estate agents and aimed at getting them quality leads. Back to you, Thomas.
0: And I'm Thomas J. Nelson. I'm a residential realtor and an investor here in San Diego, California. And I am with Big Block Realty, where you can find me on thomasjnelsonrealtor.com, representing investors, military, and yes, helping people work through that divorce. I have a special niche working with divorcees, helping them make informed decisions before they settle. All right, we're going to get into our show today. We have a lot to cover, so I want to dive in with Scott. Um, Scott, I want to come right out of the gate with uh, people that have invested in real estate or are planning to. One of the things they have to think about is asset protection. So, what are some of the things you can do to safeguard your properties that you're purchasing? Uh, to hold to buy and hold for uh, rentals?
1: Um, yeah, really, it depends on uh, where you're at um, and how many properties you have. A lot of people don't have anything that's worth protecting, right? So if you don't have anything, don't waste the money on setting up company structures. But once you have about 50,000 plus in equity, then it starts making sense to start looking at, you know, how do we protect and hide our assets um, from lawsuits? And, and one of the key things that I think that a lot of people don't um, talk about And if you haven't heard this following phrase, then you need to start down your journey of looking at asset protection. If you don't know the value of separating all of the operations of your company from all of the assets of your company, you don't even really understand the first step of what it is, um, of what's available and legal strategies to help protect yourself.
0: Could you explain that a little more? Because I, I have a feeling you already got question marks popping up.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, so, so what happens with lawsuits is that I can only sue somebody that I am connected to, right? Like somebody has to say something to me or have a document like a contract. Um, there has to be some type of interaction for me to go for to sue somebody. Okay. And so what we do for real estate investors is we take all of their money, all of their properties, and we put that in one LLC. And then we take a completely separate LLC and we use that as an operating company. That operating company is their face to the world. It's the one that signs the contracts, makes the representations, does everything. Cause that's the one we want people to sue is the one that's making all the representations. So imagine how cool that is. is that the only one they can sue is the one that doesn't actually own anything. Right. And everything else is protected over in this little castle.
0: Okay. So you raise a question because in my training, I've learned that essentially, I was told by an attorney years ago that for every property you own, you should have an LLC uh, attached to it. And then I've heard people contradict that. So can you clear that up? I mean, is that, is that an LLC per property or that encompasses all your property? How do you set it up?
1: So I look at this at, at This question as a, from a business man and an investor, which is I look at What is my cost for the actual structure that I'm putting in place. And I weigh that against how much equity that I'm protecting. That's why I think that $50,000 mark is really like a good realm for me to say, okay, great, well now I'm gonna start looking at putting in an LLC. So what you want ideally for asset protection is every asset compartmentalized, right? So every single property would be in its own LLC and we want the company and the properties held anonymously. So that way nobody can connect up our properties to us, our company to us, um, in any way. So, that's your ideal situation. Then the question becomes, well, how expensive does that get and how much does that complicate my life, right? And that's what separates um, like a, a, an average CPA or attorney from specialists like myself that use uh, structures that are efficient, you know, don't complicate our lives and also give us the those types of protections. But we really want to think compartmentalize every asset and let's hide it so that way when people look to sue us, it doesn't look like we own anything.
0: Okay, now what about because I've heard this misconception. Well, what, what, what do I need to do that for, Scott? I've got insurance.
1: Yeah, yeah, insurance is great. I have great insurance too, and everybody should. Right. The the misconception I think, and correct me on this, not is that is. There's is, is not that should I have insurance is I have insurance so I don't have to be worried. Is that right? Right. That's typically what that is, right? Um, well, the, what the piece about insurance is that insurance only protects you against accidents, right? And in legal terms, we call that negligence okay. on your property. It's not going to protect you against every other type of legal claim that exists, right? Um, so that includes even, you know, gross negligence, which is an, a really bad accident. right? Insurance companies don't cover that, right? Um, And and you'll find that insurance companies are really in the business of uh, collecting premiums and denying coverage. So, when a lawsuit happens, that's a really bad one, they can always fall back on some of these legal loopholes like gross negligence uh, to be able to deny you coverage and leave you having to defend yourself and suing your own insurance company. I don't like to be in that position.
0: Right. Okay. So, let's talk about um, from your experience, what are I mean, I, I know there's probably a plethora of, of scenarios, but let's just say maybe the top five things you see property owners get sued for by their yeah. tenants.
1: Yeah. So you'll get um, tenant lawsuits that'll happen. And those are relatively small potatoes really. Right. That's why we have insurance is because we want these nuisance lawsuits to go away. And that's why you want to be well insured um, for a lot of that. Then you And and those lawsuits typically will be against whoever the leasing uh, party is. So if that's you, if you own a property in your individual name, you're in the worst possible position, right? If somebody sues you in something totally unrelated to your real estate and your personal life, they can come and take your real estate. If a tenant sues you, they can come and take your real estate because that's a uh, a lawsuit against you because you're the property manager. So in the instance that what you want is, Um, my property is protected in LLC. So if somebody sues me, they can't get to the property. If a tenant wants to sue me, they sue whoever signed the lease, which is where I want that also to be that operating company, that shell company that enters into those contracts with people. Because what we want to do is say, even if our worst case scenario happens with this lawsuit and we lose and it's a really bad judgment, at the end of the day, it's a shell company and there's nothing that they're going to get after the fact.
0: Okay, so now we've probably got some people listening that are signing leases in their own name and don't have an LLC and we we've now put the fear of God in them. So <laughs> what, what is, what do we do to get them right? Like what, what are the steps somebody can take uh, with an already signed lease with a tenant in place to make these corrections and get these protections in place?
1: Yeah. So don't be afraid that, you know, that there's not hope out there for you, right? The, uh, the the reality situation is that if you're somebody out there that owns property in your own name and, and has the leases that you've been signing, is that you're just like 90% of everybody else that's gotten to real estate, right? I mean, rich dad, poor dad taught you how to, the exciting parts and the lucrative part about buying a property, yeah. but it sure didn't teach you about how to take it to a really professional level, right? They kind of stop, you know, 70% along the way and then you have to do a lot of exploration after the fact. Um, so, if you're working with somebody that's experienced um, inside of uh, asset protection with the company structures, you should be able to get fully protected within a week, right? Because we're talking about it aren't huge time frames to be able to set uh, these entities up. Um, you're basically talking about uh, filing a company, uh, composing some trust documents uh, to be able to be used to hide assets and hide the ownership, um, and then a number of deeds to get filed with the county clerks. And it's that, that's as complicated as it really gets. I mean, from 10,000 feet up, we're just establishing a structure, taking some deeds and moving title. How do you do that to actually have an effective uh, system? Well, that's where the magic comes from, right? But, but that's essentially the nuts and bolts of what's going on.
0: Okay. So what would somebody expect to pay? And I know this varies depending on who you hire and what state you're in, but like, like if somebody came to you, you're in Texas, correct? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So let's just say I'm a I'm a property owner in Texas, and I've just had this realization of my exposure. And I come to you, and I've got one single family property I want to do this protection plan for. So, what in that week, how much time or how much money am I typically spending to convert to an LLC?
1: Um, yeah, so we work with clients that are here in Texas, but also clients that are nationwide. Our, my limitations and our limitations as a firm is that we can't step into court anywhere, right? Oh, ah, okay. So, so what we do is we'll set up people, have, you know, people come to talk to us, and we set them up um, as, a, as a Texas representation for an outer state representative. Anybody can do that, right? That's not anything special. Um, but, but to get to your question on that, it's like what do typical costs look like? It really depends on what you want. Right. If you're just looking for anonymity and you just need a, a land trust, an anonymous land trust in combination with a deed, you're talking fees at around you know, I see typically around four to five hundred dollars to be able to set that up. If you're saying, hey, I have multiple, pro- if I have you know one property, I want an LLC in that. Maybe you're spending where anywhere between fifteen hundred to two thousand dollars um, to have that piece put together. Um, an LLC probably wouldn't spend more than a thousand for. If I'm looking for these, you know, the most more sophisticated structures like a series LLC, which I could establish in Texas and use it anywhere, in combination with anonymity trusts, I'm probably talking anywhere between three and five thousand dollars. And the most sophisticated structures that we use um, for California residents is a Delaware statutory trust, which avoids, if properly structured, avoids franchise taxes in California while giving them all of the series protection, all of the compartmentalization. Um, and those structures are typically running anywhere between, I would say markets around six to $9,000 to set up.
0: Okay. So uh, there's a menu of services then they're appropriately priced. Um, but now what about from uh, a tax uh, perspective? Am I double taxing at this point? Cause now I have an LLC or does, does that affect me tax wise? Now that your
1: taxes will actually stay exactly the same way they are right now because okay. the whole entity structure will be completely passed through and you'll report it on the schedule E of your personal income tax return. Okay. If you're a single person or a married couple. Um, and did you know about this 2018 tax bill though, with some people that are looking at establishing C-Corps to hold properties? Yeah, I was, yeah, was
0: going to take the conversation there later, but yeah, since you brought it up, let's go. <laughs> yeah, oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry to <laughs> jump the gun on you. But no, that's okay. It's hey, on we're, taxes, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, it's, it's really
1: interesting, right? Because they want it. There's, there's people out there that are toying with the idea of saying, you know, if you, if you don't ever need the property distributed to you and you're just going to hold it inside of a C corp, then you can actually have a lower effective tax rate at that point. Then an uh, LLC? Yeah. Well, it's the C corp in particular. Is okay. The one that you would, you would end up doing that in, right? Cause I think it's, what is it? 18% or something like that for the 2018. I'd have to look at, um, uh, back in my notes, but but in any case, it's always gonna be lower than your, um, if you're in a higher tax bracket, it's right. always, it's much lower than that by like half, I think.
0: So so. If, so in other words, if I had an LLC and I'm at whatever I'm paying, like let's say I'm at 35% and then I decide, hey, I'm never gonna liquidate this property. Um, that would be cause to go into a C Corp because then I can lower my taxes. And not worry about um, the the double taxation on the gain if I did sell it back to myself or sell it on behalf of myself. That is, yeah, that's right. Yeah,
1: because you're only you're on for an LLC. All of the income has to be distributed to you at the end of every year to avoid LLC tax. Okay. So if we're going to keep all of the income year over year in the C corp, um, then we can leave it in there, and as long as we don't need it, then we can continue. We can build our resources more effectively inside of the C corp. And that and can make a lot of sense, right? If you're doing, um, like you're combining your business expenses with things that you want to do in your normal life anyway, like if I really want to get that jet, then what I really need to do is start thinking, okay, how can I use the jet with the C-Corp because that's where I really need to go to Milan because that's the real estate conference. Right. You know, like you start playing this game of like, where do I shelter expenses, right? And what I want to do.
0: Okay. But so, um, but let me be clear because I'm, I, I, I'll be a, the first to admit I'm a little confused here. Is this strictly um, regarding the sale of the property or is this saying that even the rents I'm collecting need to stay in the C-Corp and I can't touch those as income?
1: Yeah, nothing. Right. The whole point okay. is to say that I'm never going to touch get, It's never going to hit my personal return. Okay. Everything is going to stay in the C-Corp once it goes in.
0: All right, now I'm going to ask a dumb question, but I have to ask it. (laughs) Yeah. So what becomes of that money? Like, who is that money for eventually?
1: Well, nobody. (laughs) I mean, like, what would happen eventually is you die, right? And then it's whoever inherits the shares of the C-Corp, right? Okay, that's where I was
0: going. It's an inheritance then for somebody, essentially.
1: Essentially, right. And then during your lifetime, you have this little cash-producing expense machine to do all of your, you know, all of your expensing that you just need to do.
0: Okay. So this is someone, so this is a strategy then um, if I've got this um, extra income that I don't really need to live on, I'm comfortable the way I'm living now. And so I've got this property that's just kind of generating an account or a trust, if you will, that, that it will eventually be inherited by my son. And then now when he inherits it, what kind of taxes does he face or what is he, what's his responsibility to the uh, C Corp? Yeah, well,
1: he'll end up inheriting a C corp, right? And then he can he can make choices about and, and that circumstance of what they want to do. And there's there's a number of options at that point. Um, but you know, what you're typically what you're essentially doing, right? Is um, you know, like you, I, I don't want to jump too far out of line here on a live Facebook chat. But if you start looking at saying like, what are the scope of things that I can say are business expenses? It's pretty broad, right? right. And, and so what you're typically doing is saying, like, do I have this, you know, uh, a big bucket of money that I can use for expenses? I'm going to pass it on to my heirs. At that point, you know, you're able to do a lot of tax saving measures in preparation of that. And you should talk to an estate planning specialist that's going to help you be able to determine that effectively. Um, if you're just a typical real estate investor, I mean, that kind of strategy with a C C-Corp probably doesn't apply to a lot of people. Right. But Um, But if you're a typical real estate investor, really sticking with saying, what are my basic structures I can put in place? How do I get good insurance? How do I look at my LLC? Um, What's my basic estate plan? Like just a basic living trust and a pour over will to help my assets, you know, avoid probate. So that way I can make sure that they're protected and distributed how I want those are going to be like low hanging fruit that puts you 95% above everybody else. that just hasn't even taken a swing at doing the right things, you know? And if you, if you start making a lot of money and you want to, you know, uh, hit me up about, you know, Hey Scott, how do I take this and and really maximize it? um, You know, anybody can feel free to give me a shout. You know, if, if you
2: have that extra million just sitting around, you don't know what to do with it. Oh, yeah, Thomas, I think we better go for our break, Thomas. And obviously, you and me, Thomas, we're going to look at our jets this afternoon, aren't we, Thomas?
0: Yeah, yeah, I got to make sure they waxed it up.
2: Yeah, you know, <laughs> I'm going to upgrade this afternoon, Thomas.
0: Yeah, That's, the, you know, Scott, that's the beauty of working with Jonathan's podcast is we all get company jets, company cars. That's good. I'm I'm still waiting for mine to get delivered. It must have been delayed in the snowstorm. <laughs> All right, Jonathan, uh, we have to go to commercial, don't we?
2: Yes, we're going to have to go All for right. our commercial break. You take we're, it away, sir. We're going to go for our commercial break, folks, and we'll be back in a minute. And like I say, I've already scheduled to look at Wadu Jet this afternoon. <laughs> we'll be back in a few moments, folks. we're coming back. We're talking about jets, taxes, death, and limited companies. Back to my host,
0: <laughs> All right. Well, I mean, I could spend all day on that topic because I have so many questions, but I, I want to make sure we cover a few more topics as uh, we're already halfway through the show. So, um, Scott, one of the things I know that you're um, qualified to talk about, and one of the things I'm seeing a lot of and done really badly, at least in Southern California are these teams that they get set up um, for the purposes of bird-dogging properties and bringing them back and investment teams. And I'm watching other teams come in to retail listings and trying to force fit a bottom line uh, strategy in a retail world. And I, I'm, w- so what's your advice for teams and, and, and maybe just some basics about what they should be doing to analyze the proper, proper properties for their uh, formula? Yeah, so I would say
1: um, some, some tips on that would be number one is never hire a professional or do business with anybody that's not in the same business you're in, right? So mm-hmm. if you're looking at hiring like a CPA or attorneys or in, or even like loan officers and whatnot, you want all of those people to be in the real estate industry with you because that means they've actually gone through the muck of knowing how things really play <laughs> out and how they relate to other pieces, right? Right. It's one thing to be a professional in one category and not know how it works in the others, so, one of the um, pieces when I look for when I'm establishing teams, and, and not just real estate, but teams for any of the businesses I'm in, um, I'm always trying to find um, how I can contribute the most valuable pieces to, how can I be as most valuable as possible to any team that I would go into, right? Like, every, you need one niche area that you're really strong in, um, and then you need a little bit of knowledge on everybody else's. Um, so that way it helps you identify who are real players and who are people that just like to talk. Cause there's a lot of people right now that's super soft cause money is so soft, meaning everybody's trying to throw it into real estate yep. um, and Bitcoin and whatnot. So you, what happens anytime you have a market like that is there's a huge amount of people that are all getting into it. And a lot of people are just throwing cash at it. So me and my professional friends, what we talk about right now is saying like, man, the money is just stupid. Like people are throwing money at stuff with, because people are promising a 20% IRR. And the deals and I'm looking at these deals and I'm like, this is not it.
2: This is a crystal right.
1: ball deal, right? right? Like if you're telling me you got a crystal ball, you can know what markets are going to do, then I'm like, ah, I'm probably not into that because you don't have it, I don't have it, right? So um, when we're looking at what uh, teams that I want to partner with, it's kind of like saying that you like having a girlfriend in a lot of ways that what you want to do is start meeting her friends you know, (laughs) right? Like that's how we judge. Like, so as you know, if you're going to have a good girlfriend or good boyfriend or, or whatever, right. Is like, if you start meeting her friends and all of her friends kind of suck, then you're like, yeah, you're probably not that good when all of this fades away, (laughs) you know? And like, it's not any different investing with like people, right? Like if they don't have good contacts with who you're meeting that they've done deals with, uh, and whatnot, then um, that's how I know. And like, forget about like clothes and cars and all of the material stuff. Those are like glitzes and glamour that yeah. people will use to bamboozle you into thinking they're successful. Successful, really successful people have really awesome friends, though.
2: Like, oh, there we go. That's why I'm single, Thomas.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Jonathan, you're just you're just too choosy. You just you don't accept below a certain high caliber, and that's okay too.
2: No, Thomas said, tell you the truth. <laughs> well,
0: it couldn't be that choosy. He picked me as a co-host.
2: <laughs> uh, one of my better decisions. Probably.
0: <laughs> well, you know, Scott, um, I mean, you bring up a good point. I, it might, because I, what I truly think I see happening, at least here in SoCal, is th- that they're not all on the same page. Because <coughs> I'll often end up talking to more than one team member, and you can hear two completely different philosophies about the property that they're discussing. And I mean, the, the thing that frustrates me is as someone that invests, I, I look at a market like we're in right now and there's no way I would be investing in Southern California, not because I don't believe in it because it's just, there's no ROI. There's no, there's not enough uh, return to even get a positive cash flow. Um, it, by the way, I do my numbers and you know, I'm pretty conservative. But what I'm seeing is these guys coming out and trying to, force fit their, their model into retail properties. And I guess occasionally it's happening, but what I'm seeing is a ton of overpriced properties with no price reductions after 30, 60 days. They're 20, 30,000 over asking. You look up the tax records, you can see what they bought it for. You look at the property, you can see, estimate what they invested in it to get it to be a rehab and, and and they're just sitting there. And so a lot of these guys end up renting the properties which is not what they want to do. Um, but well, I mean, what's your advice to flippers? I mean, cause I, I'm a buy and hold guy. I've never believed in flipping properties. I understand there's people that are really good at it. Uh, it's just not my forte. It's I, I'm a buy and hold guy. So I, I, I have a biased opinion about it to begin with. So I, I'd look to you for some advice on these guys that are going out and trying to flip in 2018. You know, wh- wh- do you have any advice for them?
1: Um, yeah. I mean, it, trying to, f- Flipping properties, when you're coming down to it, is that there's you know a couple of ways that I see people really lose money. Um, the one way is that you 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 buy bad, right? Like you're just too excited about the market, right. and so you're really optimistic about what numbers should look like. Right. And the question yeah ha- I, I ask whenever I have you know a client that's a flipper and they're ta- talking to me about a deal they want to go into. Is you know fifty percent of this game is actually knowing your client, and the other fifty and knowing, and the other fifty percent it's law and investing and how numbers work as an investor, right? Right. But part of it, I look at him and say, "Well, okay, fine. I'm going to grant you the fact that you know the market better than me, right?" But even in that, do you actually can you tell me that these are actually conservative numbers? Because out of all the unknowns, are you okay losing money on this property um, if it doesn't go exactly the way you want to, right? And if you are. And you want to take a stab at it? Fine, go to Vegas, roll some dice, right? right but right. if you're really depending on making money on this deal and stamping out consistent returns, then being conservative on your numbers is the only way that really makes sense because there's too many variables um, to be able to have consistency. But that being said, you know some people are hitting home runs, um, and you'll hear those stories more than all the people who lost money because people like to talk about wins and not losses.
2: Right.
1: right. So be careful about the stories you're hearing, you know, about um, and how practical that really is. Um, and that kind of, that brings us back to something we were talking about before we actually jumped on the phone, which is, you know, do you, do you feel comfortable having conversations with people about the bad stuff? Right. Like, can you really get in there with somebody and develop that kind of intimacy in a relationship where you can feel comfortable talking about all the stuff that really went wrong along the way? Cause if you haven't, then you don't have the best information
0: and yeah, you're I would just agree. blind. You, you, the, the 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 team or the individual needs to be able to look at all aspects of this including the risk and the numbers don't lie i mean I, you can't force the numbers uh, they either they either add up to cash flow break even or you know you're in the red but um, and and you know and it's like you said i mean some of the best investors i've met over the years uh, they're these very unassuming guys i would tell you that the average guy i meet is probably in his 70s Um, in blue jeans and a Pendleton shirt, and drives a a station wagon or an old sedan. You would never guess the guy to be worth what he's worth. And these guys are worth multi-million dollars. And, you know, I worked with a lot of these guys during the 06 to 011 era of the Great Recession. And I learned a lot from them. And that's why I just scratch my head when I see this new generation of investors coming in to a market with a model that you know, is, is probably a good five or six years too late, um, for the average home that's on the market. You know, I mean, that's not to say there's not deals to be had, but you're not going to find them as much on the MLS right now as you got to go dig for them. You got to go find that non-performing property or that, or that deferred maintenance property or that, you know, distressed property that's not on the market. And those are getting harder to find.
1: Well, yeah, and that's why you need a good wholesaler, right? Like, that's what, you know, Kiyosaki and all those guys talked about as the basics. It's the three legs of the stool. You need a CPA, an attorney, and you need somebody that actually is a, a deal maker. And you, as an investor, have to find out where you're at. Where, where do you fit into that group, right? Right. Um, and if you're like, okay, well, I'm not a CPA and I'm not an attorney, I think I'm the deal maker and I have some cash. Well, then your job is to network with a ton of wholesalers. Right. To be able to figure out how they're actually, you know, what deals are they getting and then leveraging your network um, to be able to go that way, right? I, are you telling, I, I'm getting this impression though from, from what you're saying right now is that people aren't even running numbers like where you're at in that well, market. Because that sounds like insanity. Like I haven't yeah, even heard of that among people that I talk to.
0: I, I would say, I'm, I'm guessing that because I can't, I mean, it, that's what the end result is. When you're seeing something that should be, uh, let's just use a one-bedroom condo because I see a lot of those because they're easy to buy for a first-time investor. Uh, I'm I'm right now representing a buyer that is in a three hundred thousand dollar budget, and we're looking at properties that I'm running numbers on that should be priced around two fifty, two sixty that are sitting there at two eighty, two ninety, and there's not a comp in a six-month time frame or in a mile radius, which is essentially what an appraiser is going to do. Um, that supports the price. And then they're sending me these comps that are eight months old and they're they're two or three miles away. And I'm like, well, yeah, in that neighborhood, it is worth 290, but you're a block off the freeway. And that neighborhood's a nice, lovely side street where Leave It to Beaver music plays. You know, <laughs> there's a huge difference. They, they are trying to force fit the comps as, as I see it. So, And all I can imagine is it was what you said earlier. They either, they didn't do the numbers or they have that crystal ball, you know, all the markets going up, up, up. But if you're paying attention to the market, the last six months, it's kind of, um, it hasn't stopped, but it's definitely slowed down and the the, the rate of increase has definitely slowed down. Even though we're still moving up, it's not, you know, month after month, we're seeing these huge leaps and bounds like we were a year ago.
1: I mean, yeah, I mean, how long can, how... What's going on, and when prices can increase, but like rents can't, because wages don't increase. Right. And like if you just look at it from just macroeconomics of what's going on, like that would tell you, okay, that sounds crazy. You can't keep having that for forever. And then, and then the other piece of it too is saying, like, well, why wouldn't banks be happy to lend to stuff when it's thirty thousand dollars over market? Right. Well, maybe because they have a couple hundred years of investing experience, <laughs> right? Right?
0: <laughs> yeah, and we and we've all been through this just recently. I mean, it's almost like no everyone's got short term memory uh, because I'm still licking wounds from '07. I mean, yeah. I mean, there's, I mean, the amount of short sales I had to do and and, and watch people foreclose and and the just the the carnage. Um,
2: I I call Financial Alzheimer's disease. Yeah. No, that's a good, that's a good term
0: because, you know, you're reminded people. Now, a lot of the people I'm working with, thank God they're, you know, they're conservative. And they, the number one thing that I encourage and almost demand of my clients is if this is the budget, stick to it, quit fudging it, quit saying, no, well, this is the, this property is the exception. Well, why? What's, what's going to be so exceptional about it when the numbers don't add up? You got to stick to the budget.
1: Um yeah. yeah, I mean, I would say so, right, especially if I mean like the, the the assumption is that like I can fudge numbers if the markets continue to improve because as long as markets continue to improve, then I'm cool, right It doesn't matter what I pay, right the market's going to continue to improve, but the the question becomes of saying like that's great um, if if markets continue to improve, that's great the The problem is 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 twofold if markets start to reverse. One, now you're upside down on this house and you can't rent it for enough to be able to cover the mortgage. So you've just saddled yourself with uh, like a life-destructive financial event that yep. you can't get out of easily, right, at all. And then the second part is, is that once markets start to reverse, let's say like we have this, you know, stock market, uh, it wasn't just a hiccup when we had yeah. the, the greatest loss, right? Yeah. Now let's say something like that happens, right? Let's say if you didn't think 2008, they did the perfect thing to fix the economy and maybe they kicked the can down the road and maybe real estate markets might reverse and the stock market might reverse. The flip side of that too is, is when markets reverse, you also have upticks in litigation because yeah. people will also start to sue more because now the pie is smaller. And so yeah. they feel like they need to take it from somebody else. So lawsuits actually go up. So imagine if you end up, overshooting your property and you don't plan for what position am I going to be in if things reverse or things don't go the way I plan, Mm -hmm. then really what you're saying is I'm really okay with taking a gamble that if I'm wrong, when I buy this, I am okay with the next 20 years of financial pain. Like what kind of insanity, like what must you live in if that's the world you live in? Because nobody taught you that. That's just something you're hoping. Gonna um, be
2: okay. I think we need to go for our um, to finish up on the podcast part of the show, Thomas, and then I've, I've got a couple of questions and I'm sure you have. And that being our bonus content, Would you like okay. to wrap up, Thomas,
0: Scott, Jonathan always cuts me off right when it's getting juicy. But <laughs> there's a, there's a method to that madness because yeah. we do bonus material on video, folks. So for those of you that are hearing a sign off on the podcast, you can continue this with us on YouTube or the MailRite website. Uh, but Scott, before we uh, sign off, I want to give you an opportunity to tell people how to get a hold of you if they want to get more information about your services.
1: Um, well, I prefer singing telegrams. If you really <laughs> want to get my attention, nice.
0: That's a first. Uh, that
1: would be always a good one. Those are welcome. Fruit baskets are also welcome. Uh, okay. Getting healthier this year. Nice. Uh, but you can also go to our website, royallegalsolutions.com. You can reach us by phone at 512-757-3994. You can reach me by email at scott at royallegalsolutions, uh, dot com, And no matter where you live or no matter what assets you're dealing with in real estate, uh, give us a call and it's very likely that we're going to be able to help you or connect you with somebody that can.
0: Okay. Wonderful. Jonathan, what about you? If folks want to uh, get their mail, right? How do they do that?
2: Drink baskets. <laughs> so you need, uh, no, you just go to the mail, right? Website. got the phone number, email. I answer the emails and, uh, really easy to get hold of thomas back to you tom
0: all right and i'm on uh, thomasjnelsonrealtor.com you can also find me on social media which is predominantly facebook and linkedin for me and uh, of course the old-fashioned thing give me a call at 858-232-8722 i'm thomas j nelson with big block realty here in america's finest city san diego california all right folks we're gonna jump over to video only now so come join us there Uh, For those of you signing off with us on the podcast this week, thanks for joining us. And we'll be back next week with another exciting guest. See you later. Bye-bye.